0: Welcome into the Cubs Weekly Podcast presented by Windtrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs, and exclusive home of Cubs Checking. Open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. I'm Tony Andracchi, joined by our Marquee Sports Network multimedia producer, Lance Brozdowski. He's also our in-house prospect expert. And uh, we talked to MLB Pipeline senior writer, Jim Callis, later in the pod just breaking down really we're going in depth on the Cubs farm system in this entire podcast last time we talked to you guys it was the the trade deadline we know how that went obviously uh you know nine players were traded seven in the in the two days or the day or two leading up to the deadline but also a lot of young players coming into the system. And, and so we brought Lance on and Jim later to just break down what the Cubs got in return to the trade deadline and where this system is moving forward. And, and Lance, you're going to have this marquee sports network, this mid season top 20 prospect list that's going to be hitting the website very soon, just overall for you, as you look at this, this kind of macro look at the Cubs farm system, what are your main takeaways as you were putting together this list?
1: Yeah, I think my principal takeaway is that there's a lot of talent that is kind of coerced around the same timeline where they're all very young and below kind of double-A. We all know about Brendan Davis and Miguel Amaya and some of these other guys, Kale Killian they acquired in the Chris Bryan trade, Ryan a pitcher from the Giants who's going to shoot up on lists. But there's a lot, a lot of talent that is all lined up, all really young, all very projectable. You're going to see a lot of body changes, I think, over the next year or two. And I think the takeaway is that prospects – in the Cubs system are going to be something that I think anyone is going to have to keep their eye on just because there's going to be so much new information coming in as we get into instructs and guys get back from injury, potentially some Arizona folly guys might hit out there, hopefully a Bradley Marquez or something, if he can heal up and see him live. And I, it's just something that is going to be very relevant. I think to the Cubs future is to keep tabs on these lists. And even as you go site to site, like we're going to have a, a list up and I think it's going to be very different than other sites. And the reality is like that's because a lot of these guys are on the same timeline and they all have, very interesting tools with very different levels of variability. So there's great cases to be made that some of these guys should be above others.
0: Yeah, one of my favorite things about prospect lists is, like you just said, the variability. I mean, there's no wrong answer. You can't like yeah. look at, at our list or uh, Jim's list with MLB Pipeline or FanGraphs or wherever and be like, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong. Like a lot of it is trying to predict the future. That's so impossible. But I, it's also a really fun time. I mean, I, it, I know it's there's a lot of emotions that Cubs fans have. Have gone through over the last couple of weeks. Uh, but just in this regard, it's exciting. It's really cool. Like I know I'm pumped to read through the the full list and write up that you have of each of these guys. I, I love the first edition. And, and I mean, really, Lance, as you're looking at this too, I mean, you could probably change the top 20 list on a week to week basis at this point, right after last year with no, no minor league action.
1: Yeah, that's, that's I, a lot of the scouts I talked to, the most interesting players, I think the Cubs system around the complex, aside from Brent Davis it was it used to be called. I don't even know what it used to be called. Arizona League. Now it's called the Arizona Complex League (ACL), which is a terrible acronym because it's, it's it gets very confused with the ligament ACL. Um, but that's where you have Kevin Alcantara acquired in the Rizzo trade. That's where you have Reginald Preciado from the Darvish trade from the Padres. It's where you have where you're going to have probably Christian Hernandez, an international signee that's uh, not really too known aside from a lot of the Dominican League uh, he's played, and you know, Owen Casey. Um, Ismail Mann is an outfielder that I like, I think, a lot more than consensus in the industry. There's a lot of guys there, and it's just – it's an influx of talent. It's really interesting, and there's a lot of variability. It's just – we just kind of don't really know where a lot of these guys are going to go, and with you saying that, it could change weekly. It could change probably daily to some extent, and I think that it's just hard. Like talking to scouts down at the complex, there's, there's a lot of guys down there who are older for the level that don't have as much experience because of the COVID layoff. So there's been a lot of complexities around scouting and trying to perceive players. There's a lot of swing and miss down there. There's a lot of poor command. So it's very hard on the statistical side to glean anything. And it's made for a ton more variability than anything in the past. And they might even out over time, but even as you get up to the lower levels of the minors, it's just changed. Like COVID has really changed how the minors are structured purely structurally, but also from a play perspective, you have guys who are just, too young for certain levels that are getting exposed and maybe we see in five years that that helps them developmentally you know they, they face the adversity sooner such that they'll they're able to kind of peak almost a little bit earlier per se as opposed to that 26 27 year old one that we usually expect for peak performance to happen but i'm fascinated I, i'm mainly excited that anyone who's interested in looking at something a list like this is willing to put the time in now such that i think it'll pay off even more it'll make you more appreciative of these guys as they come through the system as they grow as you see them grow and Everyone's going to have their favorites, and I think that that's what's so intriguing about it.
0: Yeah, and um, one of the main takeaways I just had from you talking too is, uh, I know we talked a little bit with Jim about it, but just the ACL acronym, like you said, it's just so <laughs> difficult because if you say like, "Oh, a guy's tearing up a level or a league," you don't want to say, "Oh, he's tearing up the ACL," because then you can't, say can't say tearing like, oh, up. Boy. Like he's up for the next nine months. Like, no, he's hitting 400 in the ACL. Like, so yeah, that's, that's tough to even just seeing it written on a page, let alone talking about it. It's tough to get my mind around that. But, uh, yeah, we we did have this great chat with Jim Callis, uh, again, senior writer for MLB Pipeline. So we're going to take a quick break. And then when we come back, Lance and I are going to talk to Jim just about all things Cubs farm system right now. What from Braylon Marquez health status to Brennan Davis future when he's going to hit Chicago and then who might be next after Greg Dykeman. So stick around.
2: At Wintrust, we know
1: true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC.
0: Jim, welcome in. We appreciate the time uh, joining us on the Cubs Weekly podcast here. As we, we look at this Cubs farm system, just over the last eight to nine months, really since that U Darvish trade with the Padres and then going into the trade deadline and the draft, to you, as you look at this system, how much different does it look now than it did a, about a year ago at the same time?
2: Yeah, radically different. I haven't counted it up, but I would bet on our top 30 prospects list, which we're kind of in the process of revamping again now that we're after the trade deadline and after the signing deadline for the draft. It's got to be close. I think even you know, close to half the list are guys who weren't in the organization a year ago, which is pretty crazy. I mean, you see that. I mean, obviously – The Cubs have made a lot of trades. And when that happens, the the farm system gets an influx of talent. But uh, they've definitely put a lot of talent into the system in the last 12 months. In uh, Jim, as we're putting
1: together our top 20 list, which is going to come out, I think, in about a week or so, uh, we've been kind of sorting through a lot of the prospects. And I do find it kind of interesting that the Cubs have acquired a, a lot of talent. Below the double A level, I think if you look at most top 20s, I imagine around 75% of those guys probably don't have experience at double A or above. brendan Davis and Miguel and Meyer are the two that jump out as having that experience. But do you think this was an initiative by the Cubs? And if so, what do you think the advantage is to an organization of lining up all their prospects?
2: You know, I don't know if it was something they definitely said exactly. I mean, going back to you, Darvish, I'm sure. If the Padres had said, hey, would you take C.J. Abrams? You know, they, had, they, would, have, they would have taken C.J. Abrams or one of their top guys. But I think if you have confidence in your ability to scout, like pro scouting, and I think everybody, each team probably does feel pretty good about that, you could probably get more potential talent if you're willing to take younger players. You know, if you get guys, you mentioned a couple of the Cubs guys, who like, like if, if the Cubs were contending right now, let's say – People were t- looking to trade with them. You know, Brandon Davis is not only really talented; he's performing at the AA level. So that's going to cost you a lot. You know, when, when they made the U Darvish trade, you know, they, I, I think there was uh, effort. You know, again, I, I think they would have taken one of the Padres' top guys, but you know, they got four guys, only one of whom had made his pro debut. And if you scouted those guys, you know, correctly, and you've identified really talented young players who just haven't gotten their careers going yet. You know, you, I think you have a potential for a greater payoff if that makes sense. There's more risk, but there's potentially more reward. You do pay a premium once I think guys get up to high A, double A, triple A, and they're talented and they're performing at that levels. You know, they're getting closer to the big leagues. You do pay a premium. So I, I I don't know in general if that's something that they targeted with a lot of these trades, or that was the way they said, you know what, you know, maybe it's going to be a year or two before we're back, you know, at full strength, you know, fully contending. And let's maybe look a couple of years down the line, but it, but it has been an interesting approach and you're right. I mean, outside of, I guess, Greg Dykeman and, and, and Caleb Killian, I think almost all the guys they've acquired in these trades have been guys who've been at the lower levels. Exactly. And in, in
1: conversation with some complex scouts uh, down in the Arizona complex league, which has been recently renamed. Um, I've heard that a lot of them are not particularly surprised that there wasn't too many names acquired from the complex due to the fact that a lot of those guys are, younger at the level, although they have less experience due to COVID. Um, Do you think that made evaluation for the Cubs in acquiring some of these guys more difficult?
2: Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that's been the case across baseball, you know, just talking to people about trades. I mean, I do all kinds of prospect lists and, you know, I try to talk to people outside of organizations, not just getting in-house opinions on the, on the systems I cover. And it was tough last year because, I mean, you basically had a complete year wiped out. There were no minor league games. You had the alternate site, you know, stuff going on, but there's only a handful, depending on the team. Some teams had 15 or 20 prospects at the alternate site. Other teams had only a few. They weren't open to other teams. There was some video exchange. If you were willing to share your video, you could get video from other teams. But you're also like, I know just from talking to teams who are trying to sketch some of the stuff, when they were talking about trades last offseason – it was tough because team might have a bad camera angle or you might literally be Mm -hmm. trying to watch. I was talking one team that's trying to watch video of a pitcher at somebody's alternate site and somebody walked in front, another hitter walked in front of the camera and like stood there and and took swing. So they can't see what's going on on the mound real well. So yeah, it was really limited. And you know, I mean, instructional league, if you opened your instructional league camp last fall to other teams, you could go scout those too. But again, you're talking about real short looks at players um, you know, I, I think last year, I, I know this came up repeatedly, watching pitchers in the instructional league seemed like everybody was throwing harder than usual. And that's because they didn't pitch. They weren't coming off pitching a full season. They were in short stints. You, you guys have probably seen instructional league. I mean, they do play games, but they're very loosely structured. It's not like, you know, seeing like an official game and competition. So again, there were some limitations to scouting that, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, definitely with the U Darvish trade, you know, the Cubs probably relied, you know, since three of those guys hadn't even played pro ball at the time of the trade, and one guy had only played in what was the Arizona League and now is the Arizona Complex League, um, they had relied on amateur reports. I mean, I do think it was a little easier this year. You know, when you're trading Rizzo and Bryant and Baez to some extent, you've seen guys, but even I'll take that back a little bit. You know, the Javi Baez trade was interesting because they traded him and Trevor Williams for Pete Crow Armstrong, who was a first round pick in last year's draft. So he didn't play pro ball. Last year, you know, theoretically, I guess they could have seen some stuff in instructional league. And then he got hurt six games into his debut this year. So it's not like, you know, you got a lot of pro coverage of Pete Crow Armstrong. So I, I think the Cubs and I think a lot of teams that do this, especially in the younger guys is, is, is trust your amateur evaluations of players.
0: Yeah, and you, I'm glad you mentioned Pete Crow Armstrong, because I was actually going to ask your thoughts, too, just on the, the deadline and, and some of the guys the Cubs acquired. So um, you mentioned you guys are redoing the, the prospect rankings for the Cubs, but right now you have Crow Armstrong, uh, Alexander Canario, Alexander Vizcaino, 678 um, on the Cubs prospect rankings. I guess just overall, what stands out to you about the guys the Cubs acquired at the trade deadline for Bryant, Rizzo, Javi, and some of the other pieces?
2: Yeah, and, and I'm shuffling around. I'll probably have Killian will probably move ahead of this. Kaino, when we do it, it's a, still shuffling. You know, it, it was interesting. It was – I forget who I was talking to, to about trade deadline moves. And, and with, the, with the bias trade in particular, I had an evaluator say that was the worst – the Mets made the worst trade anybody made at the trade deadline by giving up Pete Crow Armstrong in that deal. They just could not believe it. I mean, you know, Javi's kind of a polarizing guy in that everything he does is extreme. You know, he's, he's such a good defender. He's got power. His on-base percentage is one of the worst in baseball. There's some stretches where he swings and misses a lot, so he's up and down. And this team just could not believe that the Mets traded Pete Crow Armstrong to get two months of Javi Baez and then, and then maybe not re-sign him. They, they, they just thought that was kind of a stretch. And, you know, I, I think Pete Crow Armstrong's probably the most upside of any of the guys they got at the deadline this year. We won't get to see him play. I guess he might be back in instructional league, but like we're not, I don't think we're going to necessarily see him play during the season. He he hurt his non-throwing shoulder on the slide six games into his career, but he, you know, he was the 19th pick in the draft, so three picks after Ed Howard in 2020. Really, really gifted hitter. Um, Probably the best defensive outfielder in last year's draft. You know, one of the best high school hitters. He can run. You know, I think the question on him is going to be how much power does he have? You know, how much impact is there going to be? Because he's going to make contact at the plate. And we just don't know the answer to that because he hasn't played and he's so young. But he's – it's funny. I brought this up on deadline day, and, 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 and it was funny. I gave Cole Wright a hard time because Cole – I was like, Cole, you don't sound enthused by, the, by this comparison. But I, and I meant this as a positive. He's, he's similar to what Albert Almora was coming out of the draft. And I know Albert hasn't had an all-star career, but he's yeah. part of a world championship team. And you know, Albert was number six pick in the draft. And the difference is, is that Pete Crow significantly faster, and he hits left-handed. So, but I, but I think he's that that really gifted center fielder who can hit for average. I think he's got better feel for you know approach at the plate than than, than Albert did. So I think he can be better. But when I when I brought that up on deadline day, Cole like made it sound like that was like I, I I pained him by, and I was like, no no, I mean that as a as a positive, even if Albert didn't become an all-star here in Chicago. And then the other guys you mentioned, Canario is super interesting. He's a I think he's 21 now. He's in in low a um, you know big right-handed power kind of that right field profile you know Vizcaino had some shoulder issues earlier this year but he's got he's got a really nasty splitter and he can hit 100 miles an hour might be more of a reliever in, in the long run but but I think it could be like a closer or setup man like it's it's, it's really good stuff and then I think one of the guys who I, I even initially ranked him lower than I think I should have and we'll, we'll rectify that when we update our list. I think Caleb Killian, you can make a case, you know, because unfortunately for the Cubs, nobody's had surgery, but a lot of their best pitching prospects haven't pitched this year. Braylon Marquez, Cole Franklin, Riley Thompson. I think Caleb Killian is their best best healthy starting pitching prospect right now. He's a guy who kind of was on a short leash at Texas Tech and was up and down career there a little bit, won the eighth round, but he got stronger during the pandemic layoff uh, with the Giants. Started throwing harder, really open eyes in instruction league. I'm sure the Cubs got wind of that. And he's been great this year. I mean, it's his first full season of Pro ball. He rocketed to double-A. He had, I think at the time of the trade, it was like a 96 to nine or 91 to nine strikeout to walk ratio. He's throwing the mid-90s, harder slider, obviously a ton of strikes. And, and he might be of the guys they acquired outside of Greg Dykeman, who they got in the chafing trade, who, who just got called up. But 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 uh, you know, I think Killian's got more upside than Dykeman, and he might be the next guy up unless I'm forgetting somebody because they acquired so many guys, but I think he might be the closest to the big leagues of everybody else. They acquired. Yeah. And, and and sticking, I
1: guess, with a little bit of those lower level guys down in the complex um, projectable bodies is something that I've heard a lot in relation to a lot of these Cubs prospects, Uh, Reginald Preciado, Uh, Casey's probably a little more advanced body-wise, but Kevin Alcantara, who they acquired in the Rizzo trade is six foot six and could probably add 20 pounds. and No one would notice a lot of these guys, Christian Hernandez as well. There's been some video kicking around of him finally, uh, that we haven't really seen on the public side. A lot of these guys are tall and have the ability to add weight. And I'm wondering how that changes the evaluation of a prospect on your guys' end and how hard that is to project a guy.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, I think it's, you know, I mean, scouts are more experienced doing that than we are. But, like, you, you factor that in. I mean, you kind of project what the guys getting You know, as guys get bigger. They sometimes lose some speed, too. So you have to factor that in. But, yeah, I mean, most of your your, your high upside young guys are going to have projectable bodies because if they were, you know, physically maxed out at 19, that's probably not a good thing. But, like, Qatar is a guy, too, who we, we haven't talked about yet. He was so young. Like, if, I, if I'm thinking back the COVID throws off my year. So I think he was signed in, I want to say 18 and he was super young in the 18 class. He had to wait, I think a couple of weeks after July two, when the signing period opened to sign because he didn't turn 16 till mid July. And so he was, I think the youngest player who played in the U S league in 2019, he was in what was the Gulf coast league is now the Florida complex league. And he was 16 when the season started and he's still, even though so he was signed three years ago. I think he's just barely 19 years old, and he opened this season at 18, and he, and, he, and he hasn't played above the the complex level yet. And he's got to he could be plus tools across the board. But I mean, he's exciting. You know, Preciado who's off to a great start. Uh, in, and it seems weird saying ACL, but in the ACL, yeah. um, you know, switch hitter. He's you know going to grow into some power. You know, I think with him, you wonder. And I think most people project him at third base. Although it's easy to say that about big, young shortstops, they're going to outgrow the position. But if he puts on 20 or 30 pounds of strength. He'll probably slow down a little bit and be more of a third baseman. He's interesting. You know, Casey's, I think, got more physicality to him, like like you noted Lance than than the other guys do. Um, but he's he's super interesting. You know, Christian Hernandez, who I think is still just 17 years old, um, you know, is interesting. He's in the DSL. Um, yeah, I think we could be talking a year or two from now that he might be the best prospect in the whole system. I mean, I, you know, the young guy, the young international guys especially get a ton of hype. And I mean, you guys heard the same thing I did, you know, he's getting compared, you know, the body reminds scouts of a young Alex Rodriguez, you know, <laughs> like let's not put too much pressure on him there. Yeah, right. But, um, but I mean, he could be solid plus tools across the board and, and play shortstop. Um, and, and, you know, he's a guy who can get stronger too. So yeah, it's, there's a ton of projection on those guys, but it, it's kind of fun to think like, Cause you see these guys and they look so long and lean. And then, you know, you, I mean, over the years, I mean, you look at, I mean, this goes back a ways and maybe Cubs fans don't want me to bring up Eloy Jimenez, but what he, Eloy Jimenez looked like when the Cubs signed him at 16 to what Eloy Jimenez looks like now it's like, it's two different guys. Cause I mean, he's, it's, it's eight years in the future. Um, and now he's this big physical corner outfielder. So yeah, it'll be kind of fun to, to watch what the strength and conditioning guys do with those guys.
0: And, with Ed Howard too, you touched on him a little bit, you know, a few picks before Pete Crow Armstrong, but how is he adjusted to, to pro ball? His first taste of action now coming out of the Chicago area high school.
2: Yeah. They, they, it's been tough for Ed this year. And, and I don't, you know, like he's not putting up great numbers, but, but I also think it was a tough situation for him because the Cubs have so many like young, like really teenage middle infielders. You don't, you know, we've shrunk the minor leagues. You don't have the short season club anymore so you have your complex team and then you have your low a team and you had guys coming off a year where there was limited development with covid so they had guys who need to play so ed howard and i think also uh, kevin maday um it was another guy who got pushed to to low a with very little pro experience very young age and they've struggled some which i don't think is to be unexpected so i think in the long run you know it's a learning year i wouldn't be shocked if those guys repeated low A next year, because they're still going to be, I'm, I'm just looking here, it'll, it'll be 20 next year and my day will be 19. So I wouldn't be shocked if they began next year back in low A at least to start the year. But, um, you know, I mean, I think that the positive side, it, it's kind of like the guys who got put, like the young guys who, who were in the alternate site last year, like Brennan Davis is a good example. Brennan Davis struggled at the beginning of the alternate site last summer because he was seeing much more advanced pitching than he'd ever seen. You know, He hadn't played above low A ball. Um, he'd had some hand injuries, so he didn't even get in a full season in 2019. And he's facing, you know, he's in the same camp with, you know, the Cubs are trying to go to the playoffs. They have all these double-A, AA, triple-A pitchers there. And he's seeing guys two or three levels, you know, former big leaguers, you know, more advanced than he's used to. And he got carved up. But, you know, over time he learned to make some adjustments. And then we, we've seen what he's done this year when he's, you know, been healthy. Um, I mean, he's been great. Um, and so I think, you know, I, I think from the Cubs standpoint, you know, you, you know, yeah, you wish, you know, probably more for the player's sake that they were having more success and, and probably felt better about their years, but kind of being, you know, you know, thrown into the the frying pan that quick, you, A, they had to do it with some of their guys because they, you can't have six shortstops on your ACL team. You know, you you can play some at second and third, but you're still gonna have a bunch on the bench. Um, And, and you just, just kind of a growing year. So um I think it's, you know, it's fine. I, I go back and forth. I like, you know, where to put Ed on, on, on the prospect list is where we are ranking it. And, and I just don't think you can hold, I mean, I'm looking here, I, I think you said 192 the last time I looked, but again, he, he had no pro experience outside of instructionally. And now he's, he's in low a ball, like in, in a normal year, he would have played last year in the AZL. And, you know, if he, you know, maybe would have gone to extended spring or maybe to, to Eugene, if we had a Eugene this year, um, But, you know, he's had a little bit of a rough time of it, I think, just because of the circumstances.
1: And you were talking a little bit about Bren Davis there. He turns 22 in November of this year. Um, I think a lot of Cubs fans are kind of clamoring for some hope (laughs) of the future. Uh, What are the reasonable expectations in terms of when you think he debuts? And I guess what's the ceiling you guys see on him?
2: Well, the ceiling's huge. I mean, I think the ceiling would be he's a 30-30 center fielder, 20-20 center fielder. I mean, and a lot of credit to to Brennan because, you know, when they drafted him, you know, I think it was kind of easy to pigeon, you know, he, I think he'd had, if I remember correctly, there was a hamstring injury or something in his draft year. So he didn't get seen maybe as much as he would have. And I think a lot of times you kind of get pigeonholed. Oh, he's athletic, but if you're athletic and you're a high school kid, you must be raw. And he's hit from day one. Like, like I, I think he's a much more advanced hitter than, than people realize, maybe not the Cubs, but a lot of people realized, and he's performed everywhere he's been, you know, he's had some injuries where he, I think, was bunting the ball and got hit on the same finger twice in low a, and he got hit in the head this year and spring training. And then they kind of held him back for a little while, but um, tremendous tools, tremendous aptitude. I don't know if you guys have ever spoken to him. Great kid, super nice guy. I mean, he's, he, people are going to love him when he gets here, people are going to love him because he, he not only can he play, I just think people are going to love his personality. Um, and, you know, I think, it's funny. So like now the Cubs are rebuilding. So I'm sure fans like want Brendan Davis here yesterday. So they can, they mm-hmm. can see a glimpse of the future. But then you have the flip side of it. Is, and look, we don't know what's going to happen to the new CBA with, with the service time rules. Like if, if the Cubs aren't, let's say the, I mean, I think realistically the Cubs probably retool next year and the earliest are going to really seriously attend to probably 2023. Well, if that's the case, you know, we've seen how teams handle that a lot where, it may not behoove them to bring Brendan Davis up at all for service time reasons, unless that changes in the CBA. Um, you know, he's just been in double a recently, I'd say late 2022 at the earliest, but yeah, you know, maybe mid 2022. Cause he can really hit and, and you know, if he stays healthy, he might move even quicker, but I could also see unfortunately where it would make sense from the Cubs, from a business standpoint to say, Hey, we're going to, we're going to wait till 2023. I mean, <laughs> not to rub salt the wound, but I mean, Chris Bryant could have come up the year he was tearing up triple a he could have been up in midseason that year and been in the big leagues but it, it didn't make sense from a business standpoint
0: yeah I'm glad you mentioned that about Brennan too that just like Chicago's gonna love him I had the opportunity just to talk to him for the first time in spring training this year and uh one thing that stands out it almost kind of sounds weird but like his smile it, it's it like it radiates you know and it it like it's very kind of infectious and, um, and it was just kind of funny. I was introducing myself with some of the other writers and he was like, hi, I'm Brennan," to everybody. And we're like, yeah, we know, you know, like <laughs> top prospect in the system. Uh, but no, he was absolutely fantastic. Like great first impression. Um, but, you know, kind of also on some of these other guys that have been in the Cubs system, We've mentioned before, you know, Marquez and, and Cole Franklin have been sidelined by injuries all year. And, and all fans know Marquez, a, a big lefty that throws 100-plus miles an hour. Cole Franklin is somebody the Cubs have been very high on internally for the last year or so. But just the fact that they really haven't been able to pitch or get off a mound in games this year, obviously last year as well, how does that affect their stock, Jim, moving forward?
2: It's a good question because, I mean, obviously a big part of pitching is health. Um, you know, I think the good news on those guys, you can look at it as glass half empty or glass half full. I mean, the glass half empty, I mean, those were their two best pitching prospects along with Alzelay coming into the year. And, and look, I mean, the reason the Cubs didn't win as much as we thought they would after 2016 is they didn't develop pitching. And so these guys were, were, were hugely important, and then they still are. You know, the good news is neither one is, you know, like I think they're throwing like, when I talked to the Cubs recently, you guys have probably heard the same thing. I, the anticipation is that we may not see – You know, I think the Cubs, A, are being very cautious with them, you know, especially coming off a year where, where nobody really threw a lot of game innings or simulated game innings. But I think we'll see them in the in instructional league, in the Arizona fall league. I think Riley Thompson's in the same boat. None, Michael McAveen's another guy who they, they, they like who hasn't thrown a pitch this year. None of those guys is sidelined to the point where they're shut down for the year or they have to have surgery, you know, we may see all four of them. It it just might not be until, you know, October in instructional league or or the Arizona fall league, but it, you know, I think the nature of pitching is it's, it's, you'd want them playing, but I think it's less harmful than if you have a hitter losing a full year of at-bats, just because I think it's hard to make up the at-bats. You know, this is (laughs) oversimplifying it, but stuff, stuff, you know, I mean, Brillo Marquez can hit 100, and he can have a hammer breaking ball. And he was so good at the end of 2019. And assuming he's healthy, if he comes back in 2022 with that stuff, like it won't – I mean, yeah, he needs more innings to get experience. But in the long run, it's going to be fine. That that, that stuff's going to play. You know, if you had a hitter who lost, you know, a a full year of at-bats because of injury, that's tough because you can't – I mean, we've seen it with guys this year, even when I was talking about with Ed Howard a little bit, a lot of teams have kind of moved guys along, like they would have had 2020 existed, and you've seen it's worked with some guys and with other guys they've struggled because they're facing like two levels more advanced pitching they'd seen before, and they lost a year of at bats last year, even if, if even if they were at the alt site a little bit.
1: Do you think there's any consistency in how the Cubs are selecting some of the arms in their system? Staying on the topic of arms, it seems like a lot of these guys come with changeups first and that the Cubs maybe have an idea to potentially develop a breaking ball at a later time. I'm thinking of guys like Jordan Wicks with a changeup, Espinosa, changeup splitter, Franklin was changeup first, Ryan Jensen, the 2019 first rounder is also kind of a, a running fastball changeup guy. Um, do you think that this is actually a viable way for them to, you know, kind of go against the grain of other organizations focusing on sliders with a ton of sweep and high VLO fastballs um, with a ton of vertical movement? Do you think it's kind of like trying
2: to zig when others are zaggy? Um, maybe, I mean, I, I feel like with Wicks, that was more case that he was the best guy on the board as opposed to, they were targeting, you know, Jim, he had the best changeup in the draft and Wicks probably, I I thought Wicks was going to go maybe about five picks ahead of the Cubs. Um, but you had a number of teams cut deals and so it it pushed some guys down. And and I I think with him, it was just, it was a perfect fit. I mean, they, they got the best lefty in the draft, got throws a lot of strikes. Um, I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, they have Marquez, but he's an entirely different lefty than Marquez. Um, you know, maybe. I mean, you know, I think Jensen, I, I think the thing that stuck, stuck. Yeah, I can't speak. stood out the most with him was the power fastball. And I think it's the same thing with Anderson Espinosa. I mean, yeah, you know, they, their change was sort of had their breaking balls. But, you know, I, so I don't necessarily think that. You know, it, it's interesting because when you, when you first brought that up, the first thing I thought about was the Cubs had those two drafts. I think it was 16 and 17 where they went super heavy on college pitching. Mm-hmm. And they took a lot of the same guy then. And and it was a lot of guys who were college performers in major college conferences who threw a lot of strikes. And that was something that that Theo and company did in Boston, too. And toward the end of their time in Boston, they didn't develop a lot of in-house pitching. I mean, the best guy they developed, and I think he might even have been drafted the year before Theo kind of took over, was John Lester was clearly not a college pitcher um but um anyway when the cubs did that the problem was they had a lot of the same guy and then they found out yeah these guys throw strikes and they've competed and they've won like in the sec or the big 12 but the stuff's more average and guys see the ball well and they're getting hit so um i don't know that they're putting all their eggs in one basket you know it, it may be kind of coincidental lance um because I, I just think if you kind of like hammer the same demographic over and over with pitching, like the Cubs already tried that once and it didn't work. Like I, th- I think you can do that with hitters to some extent where, look, if you take guys who are – I mean, the Cubs did this for a while, you know, guys who could really hit, which sounds simple, but they're not easy to find. Those guys usually wind up making it their way to the big leagues. If you can hit, you'll play in the big leagues. But pitching, there's so much that goes into it that, you know, I mean, I think if – well, I mean, this is a, a silly example, but like, let's say they were picking higher in the draft. I don't think they would have taken Wicks over, say, you know, Jack Lighter. Yeah. and Lighter's better, but you know, Lighter's a fastball-breaking ball guy more than a changeup guy. I, I think it just that Wicks, Wicks in particular, was the best opportunity that presented itself when they picked at that point of the draft. And I'm trying to think. They, I don't think they took. I don't think they took another pitcher pretty high in this year's draft because I know they got Trantos in the second round. Yeah, I don't think I don't think they got anybody else like that's making our our list super high out of this year's draft.
0: Jim, as we talk to like uh, the Cubs fans know a lot of these guys like the Brennan Davis, Miguel Amaya, Braylon Marquez, but who are some of the guys that aren't necessarily household names that in the Cubs system that you think fans should really start paying attention to this
2: year or, or even in the next year or two? We've talked about some of the lower-level guys that have gotten in trade who are interesting, you know, like the Preciados and the Casey's and those types of guys. But, you know, I, I think there's some younger guys. DJ Hers, you know, is a really interesting lefty, great scouting because he wasn't considered signable in the 2019 draft. I think his price tag was kind of higher when the draft started. And the Cubs got him in the eighth round and, and signed him. I want to say off the top of my head for $500,000. I know a lot of teams were shocked because that was, I think, probably half what his asking price had been originally. And, and he's athletic and he, and he throws hard and he's got a, you know, it's kind of one of those sweeping sliders that's really nasty. And I think he's become one of the better pitching prospects in the system. And, and he's having a really good year. I mean, he pitched a little bit his draft year and then lost last year. So This is really his first, you know, full season. And he's looked good. Um, they have an outfielder named Johendrick Penango, who has one of the better swings in the system. He's 19 years old in, in, in A ball, and he's not putting up huge numbers, but he's, he's more than holding his own, especially for a super young guy, again, who really didn't get a chance to play last year. Um, like he's an interesting guy. Um, you know, they, they have a young catcher they're really high on, Pablo Aliendo, um, who's athletic behind the plate, and, and he's getting developing, you know, offensively. So he, he's interesting as well. Those would probably be the three names that, that jump out at me the most. And I was going to say the one guy in this year's draft who I thought was a great gift for them, Christian Franklin, who they got in the fourth round, I thought was going to be a second round pick, honestly. Um, you know, there is some swing and miss there that concerns some people, but it, you know, it wasn't, you know, like he was striking out at like a 35% clip or anything and he's really tooled up. So I, I thought he was a really, really good value in this year's draft Who. I think I'd overshadowed by Wicks and by Triantos, but he could be a pretty interesting guy when it went all of a sudden done. Who would you say is a guy maybe outside the
1: top five or six or seven or so on the Cubs list as you guys remake it that you think is going to
2: jump up, has the best chance to jump up into the top three or four? I, I'd say it would be one of the guys they got in the Darvish trade. I, I'd say Preciado or Casey, um, you know, who are just, again, I mean, they're making their pro debuts this year. But you're talking about, you know, if 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 they come close to their ceiling. I mean, Preciado is a switch hitter. Like I said before, I think he winds up at third base, but it, he this guy could hit for average power from both sides of the plate. And and Casey just could be that classic physical right field type. You know, good arm. You know, moves well once he gets going. He, I mean, huge raw power. So I I think it could be those guys. You know, it'll be be interesting to see what they do when they get to full season ball next year.
0: Jim, last one from us before we let you go. But we mentioned Greg Dykeman; he just made his major league debut last week against the White Sox. You talked too about Caleb Killian might be one of the next guys. Is it Killian or is it somebody else you think that fans will see next at Wrigley Field from this cup
2: system? Um, yeah, you know, I'm I'm, I'm just looking at our list of guys. You know, like say like you guys were saying, well, we Justin Steele just came back up. Mm-hmm. Um, you yeah. know, I think they're going to give him a look. Uh, Yeah. You know, I don't know if we're going to see another big time prospect this year, to be honest with you. And there's guys who've been up that we may see again. I mean, maybe it's a a reliever like Ethan Roberts, um, who's a guy on the rise in the system a a little bit, who's got a good arm. But, you know, we've, you know, steals back up, Dykman's up. I don't think they'll bring Killian up from double A. You know, we've seen glimpses of Corey Abbott this year. Keegan Thompson's been in and out. Manuel Rodriguez has been in. So, you know, and I'll be curious. I mean, Dykeman will be an interesting guy for Cubs fans to watch because, you know, this was a guy who was a, a second-round pick at LSU because of his power. And he had some injuries early in his career, um, you know, missed parts of his first two full seasons, and then led the Arizona Fall League in homers two years ago in, in 2019. He had nine homers. Nobody else in the league had more than four. You know, obviously, like everybody else, didn't get to play in the minors last year. And this year he's kind of reinvented himself. After being a, a power-over-hit guy, now all of a sudden he's a hit-over-power guy Um, who was he was controlling the strike zone a lot better swinging and missing a lot less more going gap to gap than than trying to crush the ball out of the park and I think there's probably a happy medium in there where he can do some of each and I'll be curious to see what he does down the down the stretch for the Cubs
0: well Jim thank you so much for all the the knowledge and insight we really appreciate joining the Cubs weekly podcast here
2: no this was fun it's great talking to you guys that's uh we'll have to do this again sometime soon
0: absolutely thanks Jim thanks guys All right, that's a wrap for this week's Cubs Weekly Podcast. We thank Jim Callis for joining us. And as we mentioned, Lance is going to have a top 20 Marquee Sports Network prospect list uh, from the Cubs system that's going to be hitting the website soon. So keep a look out for that on all of our social channels and at MarqueeSportsNetwork.com. This edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast is presented by Wintrust. Don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app.
2: Thanks for tuning in.